Welcome to the Be Brilliant People podcast with your host, me, Mike Bedford. Hi folks and welcome to the Well and Deep podcast. I'm Mike Bedford and each month I invite industry leaders, experts and people who are just um, generally passionate about and active in the people profession and beyond. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined today by HR legend, Perry Timms. <laughs> Hi, Perry. Hello, Mike. Thank you for that. Yeah, legend perhaps uh, is uh, something I will aspire to rather than admit to. <laughs> Set you up nicely there, but no, uh, yeah. you, you, you certainly are, Perry, and I know you're doing Thank loads you. of you do loads of great stuff in in the people world, and all all Thanks. very authentic and genuine too which is is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the the show today to talk about that very subject really uh, which is I think it's quite relevant at the moment isn't it around human-centered leadership um, yeah. right now so I think that's that's yeah. it's, it's a really important topic right yeah yeah definitely I think you're right about it being more sort of uh, of the moment because I guess it's been talked about for quite some time I mean if I think if we go back to some of the earlier sort of leadership models that were the Jack Welsh hero warrior types then all of a sudden some other stuff came through that was a bit softer and a little bit more about compassion and and then of course you get Amy Edmondson and psychological safety and lots more about emotional intelligence and boom you're off in a different dimension but it probably didn't mean as much until this last last 18 months or so when people really needed a comforting leader rather than just a barking order taking uh, environment so yeah I think it's uh, it's now yeah definitely um I get the sense that the the pandemic sort of shifted mm. maybe not all but some sort of mindsets mm. of, of leaders and there's been that great focus on on like well-being for example hasn't yeah. there that's really yeah. emerged and it's kind of moved from kind of being sort of some sort of fluffy thing you know where maybe you put a bowl of fruit on the table and have a, have a kind of well-being yeah. day yeah, yeah. In, in in the office uh, and that kind yeah. of that's that's like well-being it's kind of moved into a much more holistic space hasn't it where you're looking at the whole person and kind of how you know how they are as a person and how that then impacts on their ability to be the best person they can be and to produce the best work possible that they can do as well Definitely that. And so you're right. I, I mean, I'd often sort of refer to that as almost like the climate that's created around something like well-being. So rather than the gestures or the perks, it's how does it really feel, though? Um, uh, and so I can remember a couple of um, almost like moments in time, really, where I sort of thought, hang on, this stuff's really arrived. Um, and the first one is um, Jeff, whose last name escapes me now, but uh, I'll look it up afterwards and send you it, Mike. Um, yeah. He was a very senior exec in, in a very sort of big four type environment who admits that one time reading a story to his little girl at night, he just kind of collapsed and went and he was just suffering unbelievable levels of stress and burnout mm -hmm. so so he admitted to it and he said what what reaction he got was incredible because people are like what you're admitting to this weakness this vulnerability this illness yeah. that you have and it wasn't just him it was others uh, and so yeah I can remember I think it was the Lloyds Bank CEO who declared I'm going to step away for a bit because my mental yeah. health is suffering yeah these things now have started to become uh, not just acceptable, but they're showing a face of leadership that people go blind. Yeah, I thought it was just people squashed in the middle who had this, but it ain't. It's everywhere. Um, and I like the fact the dialogue shifted much more from perks and incentives to genuine care and consideration. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. 
No, Sean, you've only got to see what's been happening in the uh, the Olympics, haven't you, recently, oh, wow. to, to reflect, oh, yeah. you know, that, that kind totally. of brave... Yeah braveness of people to actually say actually no i'm i'm prioritizing my my mental yeah, health over completely over, that just wouldn't have happened would it you know no not at all a few years ago exactly that and so you know whether it's simone biles or, or whether it's naomi osaka I, i'm loving the fact that these people are going this is not acceptable this uh, this has an impact on me that i'm not prepared to sit here and take and these are people who push themselves to the very edge yeah. of their known capability all the time they don't need some snarky journalist to pick them apart and i like the fact that they're going this is not what it's about get off it you know and and, and i think there's super strength in showing that too because that's not an easy thing to do we've been taught to put on a brave face right we've been taught to not admit to this stuff yeah. yet actually when you open up what happens is people go oh my goodness i've forgotten we're human beings we're not machines no. we're not role titles we're not invincible far from it we're actually pretty fragile at the best of times yeah. and self-belief self-worth self-love whatever you want to call it concept i came across a few years ago when i got close to a number of very progressive organisations that adopt a freedom-centred approach. They're in the World Blue Network. And they were talking about organisations where people have high self-worth. And they didn't mean overconfidence and arrogance. They just meant, I know what's right for me. I believe in it. And I want to do that as part of my deal to work in this environment. And I suddenly thought, wow, the reframing of that was important for me because self-worth is often something people put right down the back of the queue. It's like, got to be there for the team, got to be there for my colleagues, got to get the money coming in for the family. But it's like, yeah, but what about you? If you're not looking after yourself, big time problems. And it's that, you know, oxygen mask metaphor in it, put your own on before you help other people. But I think we are in a kind of situation now that we haven't faced before where the pressures and the uncertainty mean we've all got to pay attention to this and we've all got to reach out and create that support network um and, and the only way you do that is by being genuine and sharing your vulnerabilities sharing your um uh, attachment to things that might not be good for you and what you've got to let go and and so on so yeah it's a time when we need people to just cut the crap and just be authentic yeah yeah that's, that's yeah that's, that's a great point and uh absolutely agree with what you're saying there and, and it's i think it's particularly relevant given we're talking about a mental health um mm. crisis emerging mm. aren't we um yeah. in the next in the next six 12 months yeah. as we kind of now yeah. starting to shift out of the totally worst not. stages of the uh, of the pandemic i think now is not the time to uh, take our no. our foot off off, off the no. brake is it you know no, and, go, and coast back to uh, mm. how things were before mm shall yeah. we say and that kind of seems to be the kind of flavor of the month doesn't it right now about Does. maybe shifting back to how things once were before yeah. that kind of i've heard it i think we might have talked about it before but kind of that 1974 sort yeah. of mentality and yeah. approach to 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 work and and to yeah. life um yeah. do, you, do you think we're kind of seeing um good and bad um mm. in terms of leaders and, and leadership in that sort of particular area and you can and i think you can think of a, a range of areas mm. that that might apply to as well as kind of well-being mental health thinking about you know the, the future of of, of work mm. itself and how we work you know yeah. where we do our best work and going back yeah. to that kind of psychological safety that trust mm. and empowerment in people mm. what are your thoughts on all of that perry mm. in terms of what's going on 
It is the big question, I think, because uh, as I mentioned, that uncertainty element to it, a lot of people, when there's uncertainty, kind of look up, don't they, in an organisational context and go, well, you must know because you're getting paid more than me. You're in a position where you've got authority and you've ascended the ranks and so on and so forth. But actually what's going on is those leaders are quite literally going, I ain't got a clue. I, I don't know what the playbook is for this because I've never been here before. But but there's almost a, a reluctance to admit that. So what do they do? They do a couple of things they can either be like we're saying super authentic and engaging with people and go actually i don't know but maybe collectively we might be able to work this out between us let's see what we can do and create as much certainty to get going and perhaps keep that as our starting point and then just see what's next that might be um you know where we are starting to see the better leaders admitting that and and galvanizing people in a way that is more wholesome and perhaps therefore sustainable and realistic. But then the, the others are kind of going, well, OK, I best know. What do I know? Well, I'll overly control. I'll dominate. I'll give people no doubts about what's going on. But but deep down, I think they realise, but is that right? Maybe not. But if nobody challenges on me, I'll push it as far as it can go. That's the danger zone because that's in a, an almost oblivious or denial sense on what really matters to people. I guess you get this thing, right, where people say, well, at least somebody's being certain. It's like, but I'd rather somebody be uncertain and help us get it right than certain and go down the wrong route because that's more damaging. You can't correct course so easily and recover and so on. So, yeah, I, I think there's this sense now that leaders are falling into two camps, willing to admit and therefore create a bit more of that spirited togetherness because I think that's what's crucial. And then those who think, no, nah, I I'm not doing that because that dilutes my power or, you know, almost in some way neuters my sense of control. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to grip tighter. And it's like, well, good luck with that, because I'm telling you now that you're just going to run into a wall. Mm. Uh, Health wise, efficiency wise, uh, duty of care yeah. wise, whatever it is. And I use the word duty of care wisely because I think what, what happens is people forget that in a leadership role sometimes. It's like, I'm not just here to sign off particular levels of finance or a key strategic decision. I'm leading people. I've got a duty of care to those people because without them, <laughs> we have no organisation. No. Um, and, and I've had a couple of chats on LinkedIn with people about this whole sense of disposable assets that people become it's just so vulgar now like you say the 74 throwback of uh, of combative and and you know them and us and a real division we've worked a long way to bring that closer and now there's a danger that some of that's going to split up again um and i don't think that's good for anybody i think those leaders in that are creating too much intensity for them to do the right thing um and then the fallout is almost quite literally like a bad radiation that just mm. toxifies and and makes people ill and you know stats 740,000 people according to the world health organization died last year through overwork i mean that's just obscene i mean that's self-inflicted not by them but by the system that's been created mm. bad bad times and in, 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 interestingly enough perry when you yeah. just to kind of go back to those stats as well that overworking mm. people um uh, without mentioning any particular names, but certain mm. chief executives of large global companies who were kind of yeah. perhaps reinforcing that message yeah. of going back to that 1974 yeah. approach of, and yeah. in this particular example, being in a physical location of yeah. work, because that's the only mm. possible way that yeah. you can do yeah. the best work, exactly the best that. version of yourself, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, not just because it, it kind of jars with what I believe work can be, which is a sort of work from anywhere situation. You wrap it around yourself in a way that isn't constricting, but it's on your terms type thing is the way to achieve that harmonious level of sustainable performance. But but it quite literally is linked to the damaging effects of, of uh, overly, uh, I suppose, ordering people into doing stuff. It makes them more childlike. It makes them less able to feel that sense of self-worth. And therefore, I think you're only getting a pale imitation of that person at the helm doing their best work. They're not. They're they're somewhat impaired by all of that, but they won't see it. So they just want you to just keep giving more and more and more. And it's like, but that, but that's not how we're built. We're not we're not designed for that kind of intensity consistently all the, all the time. Psychologists and neurologists will tell you that that heightened level of, of, of sort of adrenaline and, and cortisol in the system gradually just continually being there is probably worse than one big shock uh, because it just takes you down in all sorts of levels of your physiology as well as your psychology. So it's no wonder we're getting that, you know, 17.9 million working days lost through stress at work. It's like, what a cost that is. I mean, that's just obscene, obscene from a monetary perspective, but it's immoral from a humanist perspective. And, and they'll say, that's not my doing. You know, I can't help it if they're weak. It's like, what? That's not their weak. That's the system that's oppressive. Um, so, yeah, I, I really want to rail against some of that. Uh, and whilst I accept the arguments of people saying stuff like, yeah, but how about osmosis learning and communication and mentoring and just picking things up that you overhear? Well, I was going to ask you about that because one of the key yeah. things that people are mentioning, I've been, you know, I know you've got your head quite a lot in the L&D space as well, mm. me being an L&D professional. And while the show's not mm. just about L&D, mm. there's, there's a lot being said, isn't there, about that, you know, people mm. can only do the kind of, especially that when new people are joining or learning from others, yeah. like you said, osmosis, that can yeah. only happen face to face, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think really? it can. No, I don't. I, it's not the only way, and 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 so I, I don't know how many of these people have been into their offices in the sort of pre-pandemic conditions, but often it was crammed into a meeting room with people looking like they'd oh. want to be anywhere else than there um, for hours on end. And uh, then you've got people who have put earbuds in because they cannot stand the distractions from people around. I was one of, I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know what? I mean, it absolutely is, isn't it? It's almost like I want to get some work done here. This is not a social uh, environment in the sense of having a party, but I'm so yeah. distracted by crap. Anyway, yeah, so there's all that. Um, uh, but genuinely, I think people have put too much stock on things like water cooler moments and all this kind of stuff. It's just a load of cliches with very little evidence <laughs> to it. It totally is. So it's almost like, you know, when does the best learning happen? Well, yeah. I think I think you've got to be open to learning in that sort of osmosis way. But actually, if it doesn't, you just be very deliberate about it. I mean, there's nothing to stop people from saying in my day that's normally rammed with MS Teams or Zoom meetings. I'm just going to create a 20 minute oasis yeah. where I, I'm going to call somebody up who's in my company, who does something different yeah. to me and say, hey, I want to know how this works. Can you tell me? And they will. And you're like, great. Is that I'm like, not what we're doing now? Isn't it just? It absolutely is. Yeah. So I just don't buy it. It's not accidental, incidental. I mean, that happens and it's nice, but you can't bloody direct a whole strategy based on, you know, potential overhearing or whatever it might be. Um, you've got to just re-engineer it. You've got to say, well, let's do it differently, deliberately, very diversely, but but planned uh, how you pick up learning stuff. 
Um, so us as a team, I'll give you an example, Mike. So um, we have this hour every Tuesday uh, where we said, right, we're going to devote that to learning because if we didn't, we would just probably let it disappear and drift. Yeah. Now, what happens in that hour? We often bring in an external speaker. They've got a topic in mind. We don't know whether we need that or not till we hear it. But I'm guaranteeing you when we hear it, we're all finding something in it. So there's no learning objectives. There's no training needs analysis. We just turn up because we don't know about Nancy Klein's time yeah. to think coaching methodology, or we don't know what it's like to be a classic violinist um, mm. in an all-female group in a male-dominated kind of music. Kind carte blanche learning. Totally that, mate. It is literally, I'm turning up, I've got my brushes, I don't know what I'm painting until it comes, and then I'll have a go. And, 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 but it's brilliant because Sounds it like feels... like a great, great, great way to spend <coughs> hours, to be honest with you. It feels like you're doing it serendipitously and spontaneously, but you've just created an environment for it. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's as cut and dried as people think in that you've got to bring people together because of that. It's like... I don't think it is that you can engineer it in a much better way. Here's an example, Mike, actually. People saying, oh, my goodness me, induction, that's going to be difficult online, isn't it? So what have you said? Well, there we go. Thinking along the same lines. So I've spoken to lots of clients and people said, how have you done it? Then they've said, well, we don't want to smash people's heads into a talking session on Zoom. So we split it up and they have a chat here and they pick that up. I said, oh, that's really good. So how's that gone? People have reported they've loved it. Great. I said, so what, how did you used to do it? Well, we brought them into a room and we had loads of people pop in and do talking heads. I'm like, there you go. You see, you, 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 had, you had a crap induction before. You just didn't know it was crap. <laughs> so that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. To totally, totally. I'm glad we covered that as well, Perry, because it was on my mind, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I just want to get your thoughts on that very subject, because it seems, seems to be coming up quite a lot. And I, yeah, I don't buy the whole water cooler conversation. I've never learned anything through water right. cooler conversations, right. just, just putting that out there right, right. right now. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you, one thing I have learned uh, over the coffee making facilities is just how much people used to hate their annual appraisal. That's the only thing I've ever learned. Yeah. Pick up a lot of gossip, maybe. Yeah, uh, exactly. you know, uh, but yeah. not a lot. That's not always helpful either, is it? You know, oh. and, and one of the things I don't miss about being in an office full time is that kind of so, culture and, and you know, cliqueiness yeah. and yeah. you know, all the rest that come comes with it. I, I feel for me personally, you know, working remotely has kind of just 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 got rid of that, kicked it into the long grass. And I, totally I, I was just in conversation with with a colleague about it the other day, and they mm. were kind of. On the ledger, yeah, but just because you, uh, you 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 can't see it doesn't mean it, it's not there. And I said, no, totally, it might be, but I can't see it. I don't feel it. Don't affect no. me. Same, exactly the same. You don't fall over it, do you anymore? Because no. it's not in your deliberate schema. It's on my face, is it? You know. No. Exactly that. So again, people are talking about the mis serendipity. Well, it's like, well, what about all the unforced, uh, imbued toxicity? Exactly that. Yeah. Don't, totally don't get right. talked about. Do you see that yeah. in, in any conversations you see online where the the, the, the debate is around kind of, you know, uh, the benefits and all this kind of stuff. And it's very one-sided. Eh? I think the, the whole, I mean, this is just me going off on a bit of a tangent here, Perry, but yeah, I think yeah. the whole debate is pretty much skewed anyway. It right? is. Because yeah. if you think about it, surely the whole, if you, if you kind of, funnel it back right and you kind of you're not taking any kind of you're not sitting on any particular fence right you're not sitting on working in an office yeah. working yeah. in a coffee shop working yeah. remotely wherever yeah surely yeah. the whole point and purpose is as a leader it's about supporting your people to do exactly their that. best work wherever exactly that, that might be is that am i missing exactly. the point here i'm just kind of no you know no, you're absolutely not. And it absolutely links back to being human centred. So you've got us right back on point here, because what a lot of people are saying is, what about all the training we need to give for managers then in how they do remote management? I'm like, hang on a minute. 
all you're talking about is people that aren't in front of them. That's the difference. So why do they need to be trained in how to do things? They need to think, when do people need me? When do I need to connect with them? And what about, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, because you haven't got the convenience of just popping out and interfering with them. Um, uh, you're just thinking about different ways of doing it. But if you weren't doing it very well anyway, you'll be doing it even worse when it comes to online because you'd just be jumping in their diary and setting up meetings they don't want. So therefore, I think it comes back to that crucial point you just made. And I've always said this in, in leadership development of any sort. The best thing you can do to people is say, OK, so I lead and you're in the team. How do I get the best from you? That's the almost starting point for everything. And, and so therefore, the little adjunct to that now is how do I get the best you know, from you in this environment, in this situation? And people go, well, I like this. I don't like. So there's this concept I really like. And I saw it come through coronavirus and partly to do with induction stuff again. And it was where somebody said, because I work with a new team now and they've not met me. I created a user manual for me. It was like, this is how I operate. And I thought, what a genius idea that is. Because you pretty much say, I like this, I don't like that, I respond well to this, I, I need that. And it's absolutely something where I think we go, that's human-centred because we're taking a, an individualistic, very distinctive approach to people based on what their needs are and the push and pull of it all and so on. So to me, that, that whole leading thing comes back to that. Yeah. No, totally. And it sounds that sounds like something very similar, Perry, that I have um, been on uh, the neurodiverse spectrum. I, I I carry around with me whenever I move roles or anything like that. I, I always take with me whenever I start a new team and to save me yeah. having to explain all over again about kind yeah. of, you know, how I work and what, yeah. how, I, how we can work well together and, you know, how we yeah. can get best from each other. I kind of invented this kind of like one pager kind of ah. sort of. Um, slide which yeah. kind of just kind of says kind of how i work you know ah. what works well what doesn't how you can work well with me and i literally take that round with me and it just saves a lot of time uh, and energy having to kind of explain to everyone yeah. kind of well this is what neurodiversity is you know it's like a one or one every single yeah. time that, that becomes really draining in terms of your energy when you're kind of having to kind of go over no. the okay. same thing and it kind of feels kind of very similar to that kind of like manual mm. sort it of thing you're talking it about. it's kind of just a, about me it is. It absolutely is. Yeah, I'm sort of grinning a lot because I really like that. And again, when I go back to elements like self-worth and self-determination, that is clearly something where people make up bits if they don't understand you. And so therefore they overcompensate or undercompensate. Now, whether we like unconscious bias training and assessments or not, I did one as part of something for People Management magazine. And I was really pleased with the results, except one thing. I apparently overcompensate when I know people have some kind of specific need or disability. And I'm like, geez, where's that come from? Why do I do that? And I knew why, because I'm so keen to be helpful. I might overbear, might overwhelm, I might tread on toes and all sorts of things. And I'm like, all it needs for me to understand it is for that person, for me to shut up and that person to say, this this is how it works best for me. So exactly in the way you just described, yeah. Ex exactly, you know, there's, yeah. there's, 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 you can't replicate having a good conversation, right? No. And and no. it takes two it takes two to tango, though. You know, if you're talking yeah. about leadership as well, you yeah. know, if if I'm working with 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 you, for example, and you're leading me, then you know, mm. I need to be honest uh, and upfront yeah. too, mm. so we can have that real authentic conversation, exactly thing, can't we? And that's then support your as a leader, then supporting me to be the best. 
I totally could that. be, and I could be anyone in any business, right? Totally that. And and do you know what? Where I've seen what I would only describe as the most humanist of leaders have some dilemmas and some issues about their whole style is where perhaps that relationship hasn't quite worked with somebody. And they're like, what did I do wrong? That's normally yeah. their reaction as a leader. They're like, what did I do wrong? And actually, when I've gone into coaching those people, and luckily I've had a chance to do that with a few of them, we've discovered that actually what was going on was the other person wasn't being that frank and open and discussive and sharing. And so actually there was a bit of disrespect going on there because there was absolutely no reason for them to be like that so you kind of think well that's probably something on them not the leader but the leader's natural reaction was what did i do wrong because they wanted to set it out so much from that person's perspective they didn't get the intel in they didn't get the share they didn't get the regularity of understanding from them so no matter how much they tried to say how do i make this work for you they weren't getting it back now that's got to be on the person's reluctance to open up um, so authenticity, you're right, is a two way street that actually when when I, f I really feel for leaders, when they absolutely lay it out, they're vulnerable, they're open, yeah. they're not at all oppressive. They are so flexible and they still get a bit back from people. And you're like, well, what, what on earth can you do in that situation? You know? Um, so anyway, yeah, just going back to it, I think it, it, all those all those intentions um, uh, are something that needs reciprocity. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and, you know, in your organisation, um, mm. how how would you say you've, how would you describe your culture in PTHR mm. and how have mm. you developed that culture? So we are very deliberate about one thing, and that's that we'll be self-managed. Uh, and so, you know, that was kind of my starting point um, of going into freelancing anyway, because I wanted to be more self-directed. And, and, you know, my wife kind of says, you don't like anybody telling you what to do, do you? I'm like, <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, and so therefore, that's the mantra throughout. So we, we are yeah self-managed. And then I think within it, what we've started to craft and create is an understanding that you've got to be attentive to things like how you show up, what you say, and so on. So I'll give you a few examples. So we have a, a daily check-in on Slack, and it's just literally a how am I, what am I up to, what's worth sharing with you, just like you would do um, in the real world. And, um, and so we do that. And a couple of times people haven't shown up. They've been on duty, but they haven't checked in. And what happens with the rest of the team is a really interesting reaction. They don't turn around and go, how dare they? They turn around and go, are they all right? Yeah. Their instant reaction is, that's not what we expect from here because it's showing I'm here and I care. Are they all right? Have they got a problem? Is there an issue? So instantly it's about their, du their duty of care to their other um, person. So I think that's really where we start. We start from we care about each other first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we care about our commitments to each other and what we do. Um, so if people don't turn up for a meet, then we don't sort of send them a stinky message saying, where the hell were you? Mm. We're almost like there must have been something going on. Uh, you know, is there yeah. something we could help with and so on? And and so the only thing I think we're probably in danger of is being a bit smothering with with kindness and niceness and stuff. But but that's how we are. So, yeah, we, we describe ourselves as kind of loving and collaborative and supportive and kind. Um, and we genuinely don't want to be any other way. So, um, yeah, that's, I think, what we've started to really manifest ourselves out in, in a cultural sense well thank you and you were very kind and you, uh, to invite me into your uh, mm. your workplace recently um, mm. and I, I got to see firsthand didn't I mm. how uh, yeah how PTHR actually works and, and functions yeah. uh, it was very interesting because obviously coming from 
as you know, uh, Perry, yeah. with with our kind of shared uh, background in the civil service. Civil service, yeah. Um, and for for the benefit of our our listeners, just a bit of historical context there. So me and Perry uh, both spent uh, quite a bit of time in uh, Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service. Indeed, indeed. yeah. You know, twenty one years I was there. Yeah, <laughs> I was there ten, so not quite 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 no. the. Uh, the, the time served quite apt, I think, for HMC. But 30 yes. between us is some going, right? Yeah, but, yeah it's, it's, it's a long time, isn't it? A, a, quite a yeah. big experience as mm. well. But I think mm. from uh, maybe you, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but from that kind of cultural context to mm. the kind of cultural context where you are now, mm. what would you what would you kind of say the differences between those kind of monolithic um, mm. government departments that could be any organisation, but that kind mm. of you know, monolithic, monolithic uh, historical mm. organization compared to where you are now. What's that, what's that kind of journey been like from from there to here? Surprisingly, I would say it helped me a lot, and I think that's because I got such a lot of support in terms of career progression and people around me believing in me and mentoring and so on. Yeah. That I think there are lots of things like that. I thought, well, well, that's going to be what I'm going to be like, you know, in in roles that I'm going to do with that. So yeah. I saw lots of generosity. I saw lots of togetherness. I also saw lots of interference and bureaucracy and control, um, uh, but not in everybody in certain areas. And I kind of thought, well, I suppose you get that in an organisation that big, you're bound to. Um, and quite recently, Mike, I went back into that environment to do a couple of webinars, and it was largely around things like growth mindset, psychological safety and so on and it was so interesting because you got people in you know offender management and all sorts yeah. of other stuff and they are absolutely committed to working with their teams in a humanist yeah. sense because they know the pressure they're under so i actually think it's probably more of a um considered compassionate environment um, than even i remember it as so i think it's evolved um, That's into good. that it is, yeah. Uh, so I think it taught me a lot about process and discipline and stuff like that. Um, one thing I will say is there was a, a lack of ownership in some areas. And by that, I mean, if there was a problem, somebody would spot it, but it wasn't there. So they left it. Yeah. Um, and, and you get that in lots of big organisations. So I think the difference is now in our organisation, if we see a problem, we know it's ours because we've seen it and we bring it to the table and we want to resolve it. So that ownership thing, I think, is probably the thing that I would recommend uh, perhaps to our former colleagues as something that, that should be encouraged. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing. That. It's good to, good to kind of uh, get yeah. a sense of, of, of what you learned from your uh, yeah. your time. Um, in Definitely. In government, um, yeah. and you've had quite a diverse career, haven't you? Um, taking yeah. you, taking you from from there to here, yeah, um, definitely. And I guess uh, you've seen the. Go on, sorry. I was going to say through tech and into non-profit, uh, and then, like you say, now as an independent, yeah. Yeah, and I guess you've seen many forms of of leadership throughout mm. that, and as as that helped kind of shape who you are um, mm. as, as a leader then too. I, th I think so. You know, uh, the civil service stuff that I came across that was really, really good was something that you never forget. So the mentoring side of things and the, uh, dare I say, it's sort of, uh, you know, duty of care stuff. I mean, I had a director in the civil justice division um, and because we were headquarters staff and we were having to try and support um, local court staff, we were often getting the butt of some pretty nasty jibes. And he stood really firm and went to his fellow leaders and kind of said, look, we're in the same game here just because yeah. we work in headquarters and you work in a judicial environment doesn't mean we're not in it together so stop 
scoring points against us. And I thought, God, isn't that good? Isn't that, isn't that what good leadership's about? Actually standing with your people, going, it's not fair and I'm going to call it out. So definitely took that in. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I will say, Mike, is that sometimes mm-hmm. as, a, as an ex-civil servant, people might think, well, what do you know about commerciality? Mm-hmm. And do you know what? I've been into some private sector environments and I want to ask them that. It's like, how yeah. did you get into a commercial environment? Because you have no idea about leakage and damage and, and inefficiency and so on. Yet what I saw in the civil service was a real attention to the fact you've only got a finite amount of public money to spend. Do yeah. it wisely. So yeah. I don't buy into that stuff that says you're a lesser professional in the commercial world because you've got a civil service background. It's tosh to me. Um, uh, And what I have seen in the private sector is that they just throw money at things. They don't really get people to change minds and hearts. They'll just chuck a bit more money at something. Uh, And I've seen some um, real vulgar things where they've gone in and got consultants in who've just given them a real sort of vanilla solution and they've stuck with it. And I'm like, I can tell you don't believe in it, but because you paid a lot of money for it, you're stuck with it. And it's like, that's not how to do it. So, yeah, so I think I've spotted some of that. Now, that's not human-centred leadership. That's... Mm -hmm you know traditional playbook cover my ass type stuff and that's not needed no no that's really good reflections i'd echo that as well being a time served civil servant myself albeit i did flirt briefly with working in the private sector before joining the uh the civil the civil service um and uh yeah probably been in there what over 22 years now in the civil service so uh worked my way around yeah worked my way around and seen seen a lot of different things mm. but i think you're right i think people are at the kind of core yeah of 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 public set yeah. public service and 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 because people join mm. people don't join the public sector for pay particularly they join it because no. they want to make a difference um yeah. in in whatever way and, and like you say i think that's a really good point about you know that people are really kind of yeah mindful and diligent around uh, around yeah. money and spend because ultimately we we know that that money comes from from everyone it comes out of all our pockets and and totally we're, right. there, we're there to kind of protect the public purse at the end of yeah. the day and look yeah. after that and make sure that any money is invested wisely and gets the maximum return on investment right totally that i mean i think uh, probably the worst decisions i saw were where leaders were perhaps trying to recruit more people so inflating their wage bill a bit but but at the heart of that was an opportunity to do things with a bigger impact. So it was never, I just want to build an empire. It was, if I get a few more people, I know we can do more good. And it's almost like that shouldn't be penalised. That should be something where actually you're like, go on then, show us the value rather than stopping yeah. it from happening. And of yeah. course, there were some sunken costs in tech projects and stuff like that. Yeah. And that wasn't exactly ideal. And you wouldn't want to repeat that too often. No. But yeah, diligence on spend. I saw loads of it and and, and real sort of frugality um, and innovation on time tight uh, constraints um, really brought the best out in people but I think at the heart of it you're right leaders were in there yes there was a career path for them but equally they recognize that they're in it because of the people good and the people around them are in it for that as well so um, uh, try and work on that together and you've got a really nice kind of recipe yeah that's cool and I know that kind of we went on a bit of a I talked about those rabbit holes, didn't I, when we mm. kind of first started on that. I didn't, I, that was completely unexpected. I didn't mm. realise we were going to go down that rabbit hole, but it kind of felt mm. like we, we should pick up on that, given our kind of shared history sure. and, and context. I'm going to ask you a bit of a big question as we kind of come in towards the end of the uh, the podcast, um, Perry, before we kind of yeah. full, full swing bring it back to you. Um, mm. Just around what your thoughts are on what do you think 
the future of, of, of work actually looks like? So it is a big question, isn't it? Um, I've got a couple of uh, frames of reference to uh, give us a chance to get this right. So um, we absolutely have to get on top of how we cut out bureaucracy and create real precision based, you know, choices, I suppose, on on what people do. Uh, so we've got too much machinery and too much kind of wading through, like I say, layers of bureaucracy. So we've got to thin that out. That's the first thing that we've got to do in the future work because we've created too much work about work. Mm. That's one thing I'll say. So once we've done that purge, then I think the next thing is then you say to teams, right, you're the unit that makes a difference here. So I think we've got to get away from verticals and divisions and those empires. And we've got to say, no, it's all about teams. So we need to deconstruct it as far as we can to very strongly aligned, but very adaptable and fluid teams, because there's the magic, I think, in how people move to work, smooth out, you know, bumps in the carpet, go to problems that need solving. So we've got this kind of enterprise culture now to some people that's counterintuitive because hr's reputation is here's the boxes here's the spans of control here's how it all you know sort of flows through it's like but work doesn't arrive like that the no. problems of work are such that they cut across some of those disciplines mm. so either we go up a level and we create like a macro superstructure or we go down a level and we create this micro fluidity and i think it's probably the latter micro functions and teams that absolutely know what they're there for um uh, do it and then realize that they're going to move on to something different and they might even disassemble that team and reform into another one so that's what i I would put my chips on, which is this incredibly responsive system of work for people. You can imagine the variety and the choice and the options that come in that. I think that's where a lot of people would find more joy. When they're stuck in a big division, it's like, how do I get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's some great reflections there, Perry. Thank you. Um, I'm going to end on on you. And just just kind of maybe... You could share with us what are you most grateful for right now and why? Oh, how nice a question is that? So what am I grateful for and why? I I am grateful for all those people who have knowingly or unknowingly given me something that's helped me find out who I really am and what I'm here for. So I'm definitely grateful for that. And I'm grateful for those people I've got around me in that team you mentioned that you came to see a few weeks ago because without a shadow of a doubt, they are the best unit of people I've ever come across and would want to work with. Um, so I think the people in the past have led me to this and the people of now are the ones who have absolutely stoked my fire in what I want to do with the world. So yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Perry. And thanks again for, for being on the uh, on the podcast. I hope oh. that you, it's been uh, yeah. an enjoyable experience for you. Jeez, yeah. Uh, more than enjoyable I, i've got lots of thoughts whirring around in my head now mike you've taken me to some areas where i perhaps don't spend enough time so yeah i've enjoyed that well, that's awesome i always like to help uh, my guests get into a, a, a bit of moment of reflection yeah um, i guess yeah. as well after after the uh, the podcast has uh, has finished um and in terms of our listeners if they want to uh, reach mm. out and, and connect with you how can they do that yeah, I, I'm not difficult to find. If you Google me, there's a fair bit of YouTube footage of me talking about stuff that's um, uh, passionate about. Uh, but LinkedIn, obviously, um, Twitter, I'm on there. Probably not as much as I used to be. But uh, yeah, and you can find us at pthr.co.uk um, and you can see the team and me and drop us a line and talk about any of this stuff that's popped up because we're always happy to do that. That's absolutely awesome. And uh, 
Thanks once again, Perry. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd say the same. So thank you and good luck with the rest of the podcast series. Thanks very much. Well, that was a great show, right? I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed the conversation. If you're enjoying the Be Brilliant People podcast, don't forget to spread the word. Subscribe via your favourite podcast player of choice and also share. Spread the word. The Be Brilliant People podcast with me, Mike Bedford. Thanks for listening.